Hello and welcome to this podcast from the BBC World Service. Please let us know what you think and tell other people about us on social media. Podcasts from the BBC World Service are supported by advertising. World Football at the Women's World Cup is the podcast bringing you all the action from the tournament in Australia and New Zealand. Listen now by searching for World Football from the BBC World Service, wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Hope the key works. Oh, that sounds good. Okay. Oh, we're on the BBC roof. So what I would start with yeah. is just to have a quick look around. So the cosmic dust particles would be blown over here, pressed into that wall and into the edge at that side. Let's have a look. Yeah, what about so we this? We've got like a really nice dusty edge. Yes, and I have some equipment here out a magnet. Now I'll start the actual sampling. And now I use the magnet just to see if there are any magnetic particles at all here. Yes, there <gasps> are. Loads! So see, loads. <laughs> My hunch tell me these are pollution particles, but in between there might be uh, some extraterrestrial particles. Ah, that's okay, this is exciting. I'm Caroline Steele, science journalist, and to be honest, I'm a wannabe scientist. That's why I'm up on the roof of my office, desperately searching for tiny magnetic particles from outer space. Am I the most inexperienced person you've been up on a roof with? Absolutely not. Ah. And I didn't have more experience than you when I started. It's my first time trying this, but my guide here has searched hundreds of roofs before this one. Oh yeah, that is a lot of dust. Oh yes. But why? Let's rewind. Oh, wow, this is beautiful. A week earlier, I visited him in his remote Norwegian cabin to find out how it all began. My name is Jon Larsen, and I'm a star hunter. We are out in the woods, 40 minutes south of Oslo. This is my escape place. It's beautiful. I mean, lots of trees, everything is covered in snow. What is significant about this space? One incident 14 years ago i was preparing breakfast here where we're standing outdoors open air just blue sky above us and then i just cleaned the table and sat down to have my breakfast here fresh strawberries from the neighbor farm and then i realized there was something very very small almost invisible black dot a bit shiny so i said what is this i just cleaned the table and something is a little shiny dot so I picked it up on my finger, and I said, wow, it's a small rock. Where did that come from? Blue sky like today, not much wind either, so I thought it must have fallen from above then. Could it be a very, 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 very small meteorite? My name is Matthew Gensch, and I am a planetary scientist who specialises in the study of micrometeorites at Imperial College London. Micrometeorites are, quite simply, dust particles from space. They are like tiny, dust-sized meteorites. Micrometeorites actually date back to the formation of the solar system. They are samples from asteroids that are blasted off of the surface of those objects, spend millions of years going through space, and eventually are sweeped up by planet Earth and fall around us. They have never changed 
over the entire history of the solar system. They are a sample of the starting materials that made all the planets, that made us, ultimately. Every year, around 40,000 tonnes of cosmic dust falls through our atmosphere. And we think that it's about six particles per square metre per year accumulating on the Earth's surface. All around us, all the time, are these tiny, amazing little particles that date back four and a half billion years. If you had one on the end of your finger, you'd just about see there was a tiny little dot there. But you try and find that amongst billions of terrestrial dust particles. It's really, really tricky. I had no knowledge about micrometeorites, so I started Googling. And then, before I knew it, I had become a star hunter, <laughs> searching for stardust everywhere. So this is where you first began your hunt for cosmic dust. Yes. I just find it incredible. You looked at basically a speck of dirt. Indeed. And rather than just dusting it off the table, this led you on a quest. It did. What did uh, you do with that speck? It was lost the same moment. I just put it aside. <sighs> so I never found out. But then it was too late. I was already curious about what this could be. My name is Svein Arbostad. I'm playing the double bass since 1974, 50 years next year. How do you know John, or in Norwegian, is it Jun? Jun. Jun. How do you know Jun? Yes, I met him at school and we started out playing music. And we started Hot Club de Norvege in 1979. It really broke loose. We made our first record in 1981. Then the snowball started to roll. When these strange black dots appeared on my breakfast table, I was traveling every weekend with my string jazz quartet. We were touring in every creek and crook, so it was a fun time. Do you remember when you first heard about John's interest oh, in yes, cosmic yes, dust? Yes, yes, yes. We was touring in our very antique Volvo, and he made, oh, stop, stop, stop. Oh, what for? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm looking for some. Some micro meteorites. Uh, okay, yes, yes. And we stopped by the fjord or in the middle of the woods or in the mountains or whatever. And he went out with his magnet <laughs> and a spoon, scratching up uh, gravel from the, from the road roadside. <laughs> and uh, oh, what are you looking for? Ah, blah blah blah. So. <laughs> So, so we didn't quite know what he was up to. Very strange, actually. Everyone has his hobby. I'm fishing. He's collecting dust from outer space. That's okay. In 2012, I had a big concert in London with the Royal Symphony Orchestra, and they wanted to send me airplane tickets. So I asked for, yes, send them so I can go three days in advance. Uh -huh. which gave me 
three days of dust hunting uh, in the roads of London. Five years later. But then I've been in 50 different countries in all possible, imaginable places. So you'd been to 50 different countries yes. with your band. Yes. And each time you'd arrived a little bit early to yes. go and walk along a street with a magnet. What did your fellow band members think? <laughs> uh, we know each other from childhood. They knew I had been collecting rocks, etc. But when it came to searching for Stardust... I think that was too far out. Remember that when people wonder if this is real, is it new age, is it just kind of uh, fantasy, they would might have asked other scientists, and they would say, no, according to literature, this is not possible. I go to the Antarctic to find micrometeorites because they're much easier to find in the Antarctic. Antarctica is an incredibly clean place. Outside of the Antarctic, there's lots of terrestrial dust. So there were attempts a long time ago in the 1940s to collect cosmic dust on rooftops by a guy called uh, Harvey Nininger. And he did indeed collect lots of dust, but soon realised that actually there's a lot of dust being produced in cities by you know car engines, by furnaces. It's just too difficult to find those extraterrestrial dust particles within towns, on rooftops. Maybe it is too difficult, even impossible. I'm trying everything because I, <laughs> I really want to find them. But Jon and I aren't giving up. We're still searching for dust on top of the BBC. I can see why this is kind of addictive. Yeah, it's treasure hunting. <laughs> and <laughs> it it's, is. You know, it's fun. I find it uh, like meditation, not stressful at all. And... Inside the building, people are busy, they are worried about a lot of the things. Up here, I have no worries. You just have to use the imagination. Where would the dust particles accumulate? Okay, so if I were a dust particle... Time. If you, exactly, if you were a dust particle, where would you come to rest there? Okay, so I might go here, sort of up against this pillar, if the wind were to blow me. Oh, there's definitely something... Oh, it's just a feather. That's a good sign. I always uh, look for parts of birds because then I know the accumulation has worked for, for a longer period of time. Here. Ah, okay. Carcass of a bird? Yes. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I don't want to come across a carcass. <laughs> Maybe worth it if I find a micrometeorite. <laughs> we spent a couple of hours hunting, which means sweeping up dirt and putting it into bags. Yeah, you, you already got it. I'm learning! Oh my goodness! Yes! Look at that! Ta da! <laughs> I'm optimistic. But what? How much more stuff have you got than me? Uh, I don't know. Probably about 100? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> but you know, experience is the key to a lot of things. Yeah. It's like learning to play an instrument. Indeed, very similar. When I started to search, I found a lot of things, a lot of rounded objects or spherules, as we call them, but I didn't know what they were. I had taken so many samples from different environments, from beaches in Brazil to Sahara twice, Kuala Lumpur, everywhere. I've actually classified the dust of the world, but not found one single extraterrestrial particle, which, of course, scientists say was impossible. That was the reason why I hadn't found any. 
I get regularly contacted by people who who are trying to find cosmic dust, you know, on their roof, sometimes on the pavement outside their house, turn around to me and say, I've collected 100,000 particles, and would you look at them and tell me if they're micrometeorites, please? But most scientists think that this is, you know, it's kind of a fairy tale. There will be cosmic dust there, but it'd be really difficult to find. I started writing bulletins to the scientists. Hello, my name is Jun. I've started searching for micrometeorites. Here's what I've found so far. <laughs> and I put some very low-resolution photos. I said, I don't know what it is, but I'm trying to find out. So next month, I said, now I've found these red ones also. Anyone here have an idea what it is? And who replied? Did anyone reply? No one, of course. <laughs> The big guru in this field of research is Matthew Gensch, of course. And to begin with, he just wanted me to go away. I was contacted by yet another enthusiast. This particular person was a Norwegian jazz musician, famous jazz musician. And I told him pretty much what I told all these enthusiasts. I told him, don't do it. Find yourself a different hobby. You really can't find micrometeorites on rooftops. But he wouldn't give up. He kept sending me photographs of dust particles. I realized that he's a very busy guy. So I started sending not the bulletins, but just one question, hoping for an answer. And occasionally he answered. At first, I admit, my heart would kind of drop every time an email arrived. And I would look through and I would explain why each one of the pictures was not on my right. Were you not tempted to just... Ignore him? Or is that too mean? I, well, yes, I was, but I guess I'm just too polite. You know, I am aware that John did contact a few other scientists and they gave some initial advice, which was don't do it, and then they stopped replying. Could Jorn actually find stardust, even with Matt's advice? It's not looking likely. Seven years into his search and still no luck. I realised I had to change tactics completely. By then, I had established a contact with the university in Bergen. I had access to the electron microscope. I'd read everything that has been published about Stardust, but I still was not close to my goal. I had not found one single micrometeorite. So I invited Matthew Genge for lectures in Norway. The first lecture was in Bergen, where the electron microscope lab uh, is, I have time for a session at the lab. And there was one particle, I couldn't identify it. So I just put it in the vacuum chamber of the electron microscope. And then within seconds, we saw, okay, I've never seen anything like this before. Some stripy surface texture, don't know what it is. So uh, when Matt came to Bergen, I showed him the image at full size. John was very excited. He showed me a couple of particles, and there was one particle in particular that was absolutely, definitely a micrometeorite. And he just looked at it and said, wow, there it is. Excuse me? <laughs> that's, a, that's a micrometeorite. It's not supposed to be possible. And that was the point that everything changed. We were in a coffee shop and John started doing a little dance. He was that excited. And then, of course, I was just one walking question mark. So after seven years of hunting, you'd finally found one. Were you just like, 
absolutely over the moon. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I hadn't known what to search for. I said, okay, let me study this one particle very, very thoroughly and then search for similar ones. And then I found them instantly. Within the first summer, I found 500 what? just around here. Gosh. So it's almost like you cracked the code. You it needed is, that it first is. one. It was cracking the code. Do you still have the particle? Yes. I was so proud of it. I kept it. And it has been donated to the Natural History Museum in Oslo. That's it's, very th cool. This is my contribution oh. to Norwegian science. And he put an awful lot of work in, in finding those particles. An awful lot of work. You know, he looked through... 300 kilograms of dust from roofs, taking a little teaspoonful and putting it on a microscope, spending several hours looking at that, and then starting on the next teaspoonful from the bucket. That is unheard of dedication. Well, this is why I don't do it. <laughs> it's very rare for me to enjoy being wrong. But in this case, I really did enjoy being wrong because all of a sudden we had this new source of micrometeorites, embarrassingly that virtually every micrometeorite scientist had said wasn't a place you could collect, of a new type of micrometeorite. You know, these are rocks from space, and once they get onto the Earth, they get altered, the metal starts rusting away. So some of the ones from the Antarctic, quite frankly, are rubbish. They are, <laughs> they've almost completely weathered away, and yet these ones on rooftops are absolutely pristine. They haven't been on Earth very long. So basically, John's fresh micrometeorites trump your Antarctic ones. Well, you know, we're very competitive as scientists. <laughs> he might have won Matt over, but other scientists still weren't convinced. Jon was an outsider, doing something experts collectively agreed was practically impossible. Matt told me that there is a conference in Berlin at the Meteorological Society and when we have new discoveries, we present them there to other colleagues. I was very, very nervous. Because, really? Yes. But you've been doing gigs to, I mean, hundreds, thousands? Yes, but at that time, I was very insecure about explaining something in English for anyone. And not to say the sharpest minds, there were 500 of them. I explained the background for this, that they all said it was impossible. Then against all odds, we had the breakthrough in this search and uh, here we are, and I have 500 micrometeorites and these color photos. And I was so shy. After a short while, I said, I think I'll just show you the pictures. These guys were the, you know, the top-notch scientists. They were doing analysis worth millions of dollars. And I showed them my equipment. There was one magnet and plastic bag. And then, of course, it was time to say, are there any questions? And it was complete silence. 500 people, how could they be so silent? And I was prepared for a massacre, that they would just kill me like sharks. But after uh, an eternity, it was just applause and bravo. And then I almost cry when I tell you this. And they say, congratulations. And they were happy, you know. Oh, that's so cool. I'm, I'm so emotional about this. I'm oh, sorry, I just have to... That's all right. ...brush my nose. Go for it. Oh, but you see, that was, in one way, a breakthrough. Everyone in that room was enthralled. And as soon as he finished giving the talk, everyone rushed up to the front to talk to him, and, and they stole my friend from me. <laughs> you know, he told dis they carried him off. 
And, it's like um, the end of a concert. He's being carried up off above everyone's head. There is something about John. There is something about his enthusiasm which is just catching. Matt and Jon went on to publish a paper together in a prestigious journal called Geology. Jon, an autodidact and jazz musician, had proved his naysayers wrong and changed the field of cosmic dust research. Pretty much after that talk, everybody wanted to work with John. And John being John, of course, he didn't waste any time in getting up on the roof of the conference hall looking for cosmic dust. And he found one. <laughs> Sounds like he basically can't travel anywhere without taking a sample. I believe this is the case. And after exposure to too much of John, you find yourself on a rooftop. I have no idea what Matt means. How confident are you that we've found stardust on this roof today? Not at all. As we know, Jon has seen a lot of roofs. And sadly, the BBC's wasn't quite up to his standards. Yeah. Where do you think this ranks? Between one and five hundred? No, this is one of the absolutely worst. But all is not lost. We had another roof up our sleeves. On the top of the 12th floor of Imperial College London. And a special assistant. Ah, oh, there's Matt. Hello. So good to see you. It's uh, my tools. Nice to, see you. nice to see you, my friend. I can't believe you brought brushes with you. Oh, and you got no, me one. I brought yeah. one. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> it's been years since these two have seen each other, and it's definitely the first time Matt's been up on his university's roof. Look at that view. Oh, beautiful, isn't it? You'll find them here and here. Yun's taken us straight to a corner where there is essentially a sand dune of dust. This almost feels like cheating. And John has already got his broom out. <laughs> so addictive. Yeah. And if you just get into it, you, you cannot stop. It's, yeah, it's the excitement of finding something. It new. is. And what could be more exciting than dust from the birth of the solar system? <laughs> it is. Nothing. OK, Matt, where do you want to try next? Well, I seem to be following along behind John. I think so, that's probably not a bad tactic. You've got... It's almost like a full bag of sugar worth of dust. And you're going to take it back... To Oslo with you? Yes, in the hand leather. Have you ever been stopped at airport security for having bags of dust? Of course. Uh, what do you... Ha- <laughs> I just... What? What do you say? <laughs> it's very difficult because it doesn't sound real. No! This is a very nice roof and it has collected stuff for many, many years. So it will be a lot to look through, but that's OK. So we've got a thorough sorting process ahead of us. You do, yes. <laughs> you do. I believe you have the duty... Yeah, I'm going to be stirring them in the water, collecting them. I've got clear instructions. This could be a new hobby for you. That's true, and and then it'll end up being a series. I'll be back next year. (laughs) Join the club. There are many of us now. You again. (laughs) The usual suspects on the roof. (laughs) That's very true. Matt and I aren't the only ones inspired by Jon to climb onto roofs and search for our bits of space. He's inspired a whole global community of dust hunters. I'm Dr Sarah Roberts and I run Stardust Hunters. What we do is we go around schools with a micrometeorite hunters toolkit and then they go out into the playground, try and find their own bits of cosmic dust, have a look through the microscope and anything that they find that's potentially interesting, I take it back to Swansea University to actually do a chemical composition analysis. Amazing! So have any of these kids found cosmic dust? Not yet. We found lots of 
micrometer wrongs as opposed to micrometer <laughs> rights. But um, when I go to schools and I tell them about John's story, you know, the scientist said it was impossible. And he was like, right, I'm going to prove them wrong and prove them wrong. He did. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to go and find my bit of space dust. I am Scott Peterson. I find micrometeorites. That's kind of basically what I do. How did you get into hunting for cosmic dust? When did this interest start? So it was probably like over a decade now. At the time, there was nobody that had found anything. But then I finally found John. And then I just started talking to him every day and figuring out how to do it. So how many particles do you reckon you've found? I have over 3,000 now. What? I've always been like a thousand behind John. It's a little thing in my head where I want to get more than him, but I, I don't know if it'll ever actually happen. My name is Dusty Segreto. Right now, it's kind of all-consuming. Once you find your first one, it's all you can think about to go try and sweep roofs and try to get the perfect image of this incredible beauty that's just hidden in the dust. So I'm up to about 30, which 30, is, not bad. It's not bad. It's not big. I mean, there are folks like um, Scott Peterson, and he has a collection in the thousands. I'll send him questions that I have. And, you know, his guidance has really helped to figure out what's what. So I spoke to Matt Genge, who's the scientist that John used to ask if he'd found micrometeorites. Then I've also spoken to Scott, and he's been sending John photos of his micrometeorites. And now I'm speaking to you, and you've been sending... Scott, pictures of your micrometeorites. Does anyone send you pictures or are you the end of the chain? Uh, it's starting. And I can give the answers that a person who's been into it for a year could give. You know, I'm no expert. All these people sorting dust just for the sheer love of it. It's hard not to get swept up in it. Okay, so laid out on my kitchen table, I have three bags of dust. Jordan's gone back to Norway with his bags of dust. I wish him luck at airport security, while I have my own pile to sort through, following detailed instructions from the king of dust himself. So now I think I let them settle, and then I scoop off the organic matter off the top. It's a matter of washing, skimming, and drying. And I'm just left with a nice, dirty, sludgy tea towel to dry out. So my dust is dried. It's the next morning, it's quarter to seven, and we're going to try and get some sorting in before work. Then I sieve... Sort with a magnet. And finally, inspect it with a magnifying glass. Just so you appreciate the kind of scale here, I reckon I'm looking at a few thousand particles. I've got a pair of tweezers and I am one by one separating them into maybe and definitely not. I was sorting for a full 16 hours and I'm exhausted as I make my way to Matt's lab, plastic Tupperware in hand, to check my flecks of dirt using his fancy scanning electron microscope. You're nearly off, come on. I'm not really talking to my computerites. <laughs> he starts by mounting them onto a slide. Oh, there's a spherion. Look, have a look. Oh, cool. Wait, is it a, a space one? Is well, it... I don't know. <gasps> It's a metallic spherule. It so looks kind of like the ones in John's book. It does look like, but there are many spherules that will look like the ones in John, oh. John's book. Oh, you did a good job. Yeah, I, mean, I can tell you were up half the night picking particles. It's physically very hard. Your eyes go, my back went, I had to sort of get up and <laughs> Your stretch. Back went. <laughs> I don't think you can really describe it as hard physical labour. <laughs> um, time to find out what these are. Pop on the electron microscope. 
So nickel would be the thing we were looking for, and we don't say it. Dun, dun, dun. Just shift across. Cool. And then do the next bunch of particles. And often science involves doing the same thing again and again and again. And we don't hope. I hope. <laughs> I have an agenda. So you shouldn't try to bias your Oh, I'm very um, biased. Oh, no, no, I'm not observing. I'm emotionally invested. Come on, Nicole. We patiently look through about 30 particles, each time holding our breath for a sign they came from space. They all appear to be terrestrial. <sighs> Thank you anyway for letting me borrow your scanning electron microscope and sorting through my spherules. It's very well, patient I, of you. I would say any time. But, <laughs> but not any time. I wouldn't not... actually mean it. So <laughs> I will say to you exactly what I told John right at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Is go away. <laughs> I laughed, but I did feel pretty defeated. And it's hard to imagine how Jon must have felt doing this for all those years without finding a single speck of space dust. One thing's for sure, though, he is seriously good at it now because he's been looking through his dust and guess what? I actually found one micrometeorite from the BBC roof and a much larger, beautiful micrometeorite on the Imperial College roof. And I've still more dust to search through. And that must be the first micrometeorite on the BBC and Imperial's roof as well. So I'd say, job well done. This is really an adventure. And I think we can find more. (laughs) What I love about this story is the way it challenges a view of science as this sort of impenetrable fortress guarded by academics. And that Jon, through sheer persistence and passion, was the person who found the first unfindable piece of urban space dust. This German philosopher, Schopenhauer, he predicted any new discovery will go through three stages. First, they laugh at you. Then, resistance. And the third stage, you will be accepted as self-evident. It sounds like our friendship, actually. <laughs> Denial, resistance and acceptance. <laughs> the Women's World Cup has kicked off in Australia and New Zealand. This World Cup is going to be the biggest, the best, the most competitive. Join me, Manny Jasmi, Katie Smith and Maz Faruqi for all the latest from the tournament on world football at the Women's World Cup. Just to be in front of that type of crowd, I'm so excited for, you know, like fans always make the experience like 10 times better. That's World Football at the Women's World Cup from the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your BBC podcasts.